This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to the Bunker Daily. I'm Andrew Harrison. Today, cryptocurrency, the digital money that we were told was going to free the world from the tyranny of banks, cut fraud, lead to seamless transactions around the world and enable the unbanked or people who couldn't get access to financial services to get power over their own money. The idea was it would give power back to the people. Unfortunately, the sector has also been hit with criminality and volatility. Losses from cryptocurrency crime reached $4.52 billion in 2019, largely from insider theft rather than hacking, according to a report from blockchain forensics company CypherTrack. In July, Twitter hackers posed as Elon Musk to fake a giveaway of Bitcoin, the world's largest cryptocurrency. And things are wild even on the legitimate market. This week, Bitcoin reached a high of $12,100 per coin before collapsing with over a billion dollars in sell-off. It is a bewildering world. So where is cryptocurrency now? Should we trust it or should we treat it as a money laundering scheme as the CEO of BlackRock recently claimed? Here to help me with my ignorance is Philip Nunn, the CEO of Wealthchain Capital, a blockchain and tech fund. He's a regular speaker on the cryptocurrency and blockchain circuits. Hello, Philip. How are you doing? Hi. Thanks nice for- to see you. Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. How are you? Not bad. Thanks for joining us. So uh, as I explained, I need help with my ignorance. First <laughs> off, you know, yeah. what is it and how does it work? And I have a vague idea. You know, value is mined by continuing calculations on a network of computers, all decentralized. Can you <laughs> give me the layman's idiot explanation of what this is? Because I'm a layman and an idiot. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, it's probably quite fitting as a starting point because my whole um, basis of, of entering into the blockchain and cryptocurrency space happened about uh, seven years ago. And I'm not a techie. And I, that was initially very rare in crypto because the whole industry was built on guys who were techies who understood sort of the the deep dive and, you know, the, the cryptography elements and how, uh, you know, distributed ledgers work and the technical aspects of that. But it's, if you, if you go down those rabbit holes, it's extremely, uh, complicated mm. and it's a very dry learning topic. So <clears throat> there's two, there, there's two ways I really explain it when I talk to people about it. The first one is, is what you're essentially doing with, um, the advent of cryptocurrency is you're going back to, I guess, like almost where bartering currencies were where you actually have the ability to transact value. And I say value very loosely. That doesn't have to be money. That can be data, sensitive information, a whole manner of things. And you're actually exchanging that value without the need for a third uh, a third party in the middle, like a middleman. So that would be something like if you wanted to tran- uh, transact data for your passport, it wouldn't need a server in the middle. Um, so effectively, that's going from A to B on, on um, an independent blockchain. And when you talk about monetary things, it would be that you're actually removing the uh, the need for a bank in the middle to process or something like a Western Union money transfer to process that transaction. So that's the first side of it. And this, the, the second thing I say, which is I think probably more understandable sort of day to day is is we've we've had the advent of the Internet of Information and what that has been is a, a platform for people to instantly communicate with data with each other. So I can send you an email if you're in Australia and that can happen 
in, in a millisecond. And it's unbelievable that we have that ability to do that. What's essentially then happened is, is we've thought, okay, so what would be great is if we actually move transactional things like buying things and shopping and changing money and exchanging value online. But it's almost like the biggest sort of square peg in a round hole is trying to apply that monetary system to the internet of information. It just really doesn't fit. Um, and, and where there's a big sort of uh, um, discrepancy in terms of the fit is where really cybercrime happens. Uh, because the, the internet of information is an open source um, platform and it can be hacked. Everything can be hacked. Data can be taken. Um, so from a, a security point of view, that's really the thing. So what cryptography does and, and distributed ledgers and the advent of blockchain technology, and even if you sort of come away from crypto for a second, is it just offers a much more secure way to transact those bits of information. So it really is a true internet of value. So that's sort of probably, I don't know if that's probably confused you and your listeners more, but that's sort of how I explain it. It, it kind of makes sense. I, mean, so I suppose the, the, the key issue that people would bring up would be if you're taking out the intermediaries, well, the intermediary is not just something that um, takes a fee. The intermediary yeah. provides protection for the transactors and is regulated and is happening, you know, out in the open and is happening within national boundaries. So, so you know, a banking system is controlled by a government. It is regulated. There are consumer protections there. And you're saying that in place of those statutory protections, there is an uncrackable blockchain that maintains yep. the integrity of the transaction. Yep. So that, that again, that sort of raises a really interesting sort of argument. And I've always maintained that. So look, what happened with cryptocurrency was, let's say if you compare cryptocurrency to the advent of dot-com, um, mm-hmm. which was all the tech giants being born. You know, we had the dot-com bubble where trillions and trillions of dollars it was mainly european and us money went into all these uh you know tech companies and they were the next big thing and ultimately they they have become the next big thing but you have have to have a bubble that happens that was mainly driven by uh, wall street and you know the the city in london and, and a lot of investment came from those areas Whereas crypto was the other way around, it was really born out of the crowd and it was born out of a movement of people that said, well, you know, we're not satisfied with how things are at the moment. And you, and this is where a lot of the issues and, uh, re- you know, credibility issues that the space has had mm. is that the crowd were first. And you've got all these guys that were saying, you know, whole new world, let's pile into Bitcoin. This is going to be the next big thing. And we're going to disrupt and overhaul financial systems and processes and, as you say, governance and regulation. And that was simply never going to happen. So you were always going to have this sort of peak of interest and then a massive blow up in terms of reputation because of the way the uh, the roadmap worked. Now, I think we're in a really fascinating time for crypto at the moment. We're at sort of at a juncture where I think um, traditional channels are uh, unable to ignore it now, number one. And albeit they'll come out and sort of mock it. And as you say, you know, BlackRock have come out with a very strong opinion. I know JP Morgan came out with a very strong opinion. Then we're caught to be trading the, the life out of it. In that <laughs> <trading>. <laughs> uh, which is actually on record and true. And uh, Jamie Dimon had to backtrack massively on his uh, opinions of it. So my opinion was always that, look, you know, this will take this is going to take a long time. There's going to be adoption because the reality is it is the internet of value. It's like Web 3.0, but it's not going to be on the terms of we're going to overhaul regulators and financial systems. That's never going to happen. However, what what you are starting to see now are that governments, banks, institutions, 
whole nations, if you look at China, they're actually looking at building their own, they're actually building their own cryptocurrency at the moment. People are looking at this for the integration of cashless societies. And this is a much safer way for people to store values, as simple as that. So it was always going to be on the terms of when the big banks and governments and people like that wanted to get involved. So that's where we're, I think that's yeah. where we're slowly moving to now. Well, I mean, there have been some pretty kind of high profile, shall we say, unfortunate incident ranging from you know, out and out crime. I think was it Mount Gox lost four hundred thirty yep. million pounds to theft. Um, yep. Certain startups have turned out to be, you know, nothing more than pyramid schemes. Yep. And uh, you know, as you're saying, it's like the new people through the door. It's disruption on an enormous scale, and there is undoubtedly criminality involved. Warren Buffett's compared it to compared them to Ponzi schemes. How compromised by bad actors is crypto at the moment? Do you think? Well, I'll give you a um, I'll give you an interesting story that happened to me a week ago, and then I'll answer the actual question. Mm-hmm. So, there's a very prominent cryptocurrency called Tron, which is uh, the founder and CEO of Tron is a chap called Justin Sun, and uh, he actually paid I think it was two million dollars to have lunch with Warren Buffett, and I think he was trying <laughs> to get him on board with the uh, the crypto revolution. It's kind of is this eat out to help out? Um, I think Warren Buffett does a charity thing every year. Where, <laughs> yeah, probably me. Yeah, so time up to some. Uh, so who knows what Warren Buffett's up to? But um, so I got a, a reach out from Justin Sun's uh, personal email address, and um, because I, I I will talk to you a bit more about the mm-hmm. I've had the same Elon Musk scam happen to me actually on LinkedIn because I've got three hundred thousand followers on LinkedIn, so I've had it happen to me mm-hmm. um, where people have lost money. To, people scamming etc so what happened was i got an email from justin son's uh, personal email address and sent it through looked very legitimate we booked a skype call from his proper skype and i was like this is a little bit strange and he said oh you know you're a prominent guy in the space we're looking to do this and i got on the skype call and it was like um a piece of artificial intelligence, the Skype, and it was like um, it was Justin Sun's face, but you could clearly see it was somebody else behind the face. It was <laughs> like, <laughs> like the left hand side of the face looked like it had a bit of like Bell's palsy or a stroke or something. I was like, hang on, what is going on here? So there were some guys talking to me on Skype, and they'd man- managed to put a sort of face over of, wow. of one of the biggest guys in crypto, and they were trying to get me to invest in the next. Uh, the next wave of Tron's investment. <laughs> so it's like, not wow. so much a deep fake as a crap fake. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, and you know, look, the, the, there are bad actors in any industry. And it, mm. if you put it into context, I mean, cybercrime in, in globally in the world, if you talk about the normal monitoring system, will top $3 trillion this year. So it's not exclusive to crypto, but you're absolutely right. The issue is, is that this was a kids in their bedroom having a bit of fun throwing some money into some new concepts and all of a sudden it's got a, you know billions and billions of dollars of market cap and yeah you know because it's so loose and unregulated and people deem it that it's all anonymous then then you do get bad actors coming into the space so it, look you know that is going to happen but it's at the start it's still in its infancy you know this it, it, the internet's been around for what 30 35 years hmm. And it took a long time to get any kind of adoption. And now imagine trying to the world trying to live without the internet. So, yeah, I think it's uh, – I, I personally think it's a really exciting time. And, and actually, the more progressive jurisdictions, um, if you look at places like Canada, they're excellent, um, places like Malta, places like Switzerland, a lot of them are now embracing this as, look, yeah, it's coming. We, we know this is coming. 
Um, I had a meeting with some guys in Jersey last week. They're the largest trust company in Jersey. They now do tokenized assets as one of their things for traditional businesses. Mm. Um, and they've done like 300 million pounds worth of transactions in the last year. So to say that it's not on the map now, you know, it'd be, it would be a misstatement really. So yeah, I think you're absolutely right. There have been some massive blowups, but it does happen across the board. It's just where, where money is involved it is what happens. So my question would be, in a conventional financial environment, there'd be regulators in plain sight appointed by governments who would be addressing these issues. With a distributed sure. system like this, there isn't. there is no authority. There's no Lord Crypto out there who can go and uh-huh. convene an, an, an inquiry. What are the legitimate actors within the sector doing about this? Or is it being entirely left to national jurisdictions, fraud um, investigation departments? Well, I th- I, well, it's an interesting question again. And I think the problem is, and I, I've talked extensively to regulators about this over the years, is that they can't regulate what they don't understand. So that's been the biggest mm. challenge so far because it is such a new innovative concept that people can't get their head around it first of all and it does take a while to do that so if you actually look at the biggest and most prominent people in the space everybody is screaming for regulation you know come we we want regulation we want oversight we want guidance we want to know what's right and what's wrong and i think we're in that phase at the moment so if you look at the bitcoin foundation they're very collaborative and they work closely with regulators and another point I'll make as well, if you, if you sort of, you know, if you go right back to, so let's say someone like Pablo Escobar, right? You know, people say, well, if Bitcoin was around now, he'd have found it so much easier to move his billions around and he'd have, you know, done this and done that. And that's just simply not true because the Bitcoin blockchain is not an anonymous blockchain. Whilst it's secure and you can't hack it, you can see where the transactions are going. So there you, you've got to, you do have people that can track transactions and see the history and what's happening on the Bitcoin blockchain, which in my mind is much more secure for regulators than, you know, someone dropping holdalls of dollars out of aeroplanes over harvested fields, you know. Or, in, or indeed numbered bank accounts in certain banking jurisdictions that are considered <laughs> to be entirely legitimate, I, I would imagine. Well, exactly, yeah. Yeah. And there well there is an argument to say that, you know, I mean is there a is there a movement from higher powers that this is the next wave of the Swiss bank account? Yeah, <laughs> that it, is it the next thing? And there are going to be ways that people shield their assets via these these things. But and I think um, the 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 real squeeze has been on you know the privacy coins like Nero and coins like that. They've the ones that are on very unhackable anonymous blockchains. They've really had the the, the brunt of. Um, of the regulators because I know this just doesn't work because this does open itself up to funding terrorism, money laundering, shielding assets. So, but I guess the answer to the question is that a very collaborative approach. Yes. All of the big leaders in the space are saying, look, all we're trying to do is reinvent the internet. So it's safer. That's the main thing we're doing here. And then I I guess you sort of have to separate Bitcoin. You know, I, I, I liken Bitcoin to, it's like a Banksy. Um, It's not really a, um, it's not really a commodity. It's not really, money it's not really anything it's kind of like well no one knows who made it or what it is but it's worth a load of money i think it's the banksy of money i think it's fantastic although to be fair if you go down any market in liverpool or manchester or london you'll find knockoff banksies as far as the eye can see i I presume you'll say that there's no blockchain behind the banksy ensuring that the banksy is a legit banksy but from what you've mentioned here because there are several different cryptocurrencies i wanted to ask you bitcoin is the best known one a is it the most secure? And 
B, what is the kind of what's the environment of other competing um, cryptocurrencies? Are there particular yeah. currencies that are known for this purpose or for that purpose, and certain ones that are perhaps known for shadiness? I mean, some of our listeners will have heard the brilliant BBC podcast, The Missing Crypto Queen, about Ruji Ignatova and her one coin scam, which proved to be you know yeah. a kind of uh, essentially a criminal enterprise. Give me an idea of the kind of the taxonomy of the Bitcoin world. Well, I mean, obviously you have you know the sort of the Godfather and the the the, the basis of this whole thing, um, you know, the Satoshi paper, which which led to this. I think Bitcoin is on the map of as a real store of data and value now. It's, the, it's unquestionable. Just to give you an idea, to to hack um, one chain of the Bitcoin blockchain, so to unravel it and see where see you know exactly get the details and what's happened and steal the money. You would need thirty times the computation power of Google servers to to hack that. So it's pretty secure stuff. So um, Bitcoin's there. Bitcoin will kind of chug along. It's never been the most innovative of uh, cryptocurrencies. It's never been the most um, out there, but it's got the will of the people and it's got adoption and it's a global thing. You know, you know, people will always know what Bitcoin is now worldwide, even if you're a cleaner or a hotelier or whoever you are or you know whatever you do if people say bitcoin you go yeah i know about bitcoin yeah. so it's, it's done its job it's put crypto on the map and as i said i think it's this it's this strange one in in like 20 30 years if you actually look at the the use cases for gold i mean gold nowadays is what is fundamentally useless isn't it it's all sent every investment is sentiment driven it's as simple as that so you you have you know, you can't go to the shop with a bar of gold and buy a new car. It's just, you know, it's not, <laughs> so, but actually, because of the value we pin to it, if you have yeah. gold, you store it. So it's a similar sort of thing, and it does get referred to as digital gold. I wouldn't quite call it that. So, mm. and then underneath, you have various um, different cryptocurrencies from Ethereum to Ripple to Doge to Tron to, I mean, you can list them and list them. And what they usually do, they they sort of have their own, um, use case. So Ethereum is the blockchain of blockchains. So if you if you're actually looking to build something that's decentralized on an app, it's almost like a plug and play solution. So then you you, you build on that. It's almost like building on um, you know like Java or building on a website generator. But it, it's got that that um, security to do that. And then Ripple is kind of being deemed as the banker's coin. There's a lot of contra- controversy around that. So. They're all kind of finding a niche underneath mm. things that exist. So it's almost like you, you know, this one would compete with PayPal, or this one would compete with gold, or this one would compete with data security. So there's a, there's a real sort of plethora of it. And but much like anything, as I said, we're in the dot com phase for crypto. So this is going to be most of them won't survive. You will you'll have yeah. your MySpaces and your, um, you know, I'm trying to think of other. How about Hotel and Friends Reunited and things like that that vanished. Exactly. Yeah. Not well, you know, Facebook. Yeah. They spawned Facebook and, you know, I mean, Fr- Friends Reunited. I mean, what did they, that, that was unbelievable, that platform. I mean, they, they uh, made a right hash of that, didn't they? You mentioned that China is setting up crypto. Other countries are setting up their own crypto operations. I believe the Maduro government created one to evade U.S. sanctions. The Petro, uh, I read somewhere. Does crypto have the uh, the potential to undermine the integrity of the international banking and exchange system? Because if you can avoid tax, essentially, possibly even by saying, "Well, it's not really money; it's something else." Does this yeah. have the potential to to kind of chip away at, at the foundations of an international financial system that's already, often through its own actions? 
uh, yeah. put itself in a pretty shaky place. Well, yeah, it's a really interesting one, isn't it? Isn't it? Because obviously, in the Western world, we only get sort of the the you know our institutionalized side of that story and the argument. And um, yeah, it was a it was a bit of a sort of two fingers up to almost the U.S. institutions and the dollar and the petro was a really interesting um, sort of a scenario that played out. And they were never going to win that battle. Of course, they were never going to win that battle. But yeah, I mean, I, I saw an, an article yesterday that said that the stimulus, uh, the, the package that's going into the U.S. at the moment, is it something like a million dollars a minute is being pumped right. into their economy? Essentially, there is a, a, a bigger argument, if you are really getting into the nuts and bolts of this, that every single one of these recessions, and I think this is going to be a depression, I think on your footnotes there you said we're in this 300-year, once in 300-year recession. We're in a situation where currencies are being devalued, and is there a scenario where the dollar almost is dethroned, where other parts of the world where the dollar is pretty much the first currency? You know, I've traveled to places like Vietnam and um parts of Africa and, uh, you know, South America, and they prefer the U.S. dollar than any other currency. They don't yeah. want to trade in their own currency. So if you actually look at that logically, the buying power of the dollar, the, the dollar's effectively worth zero. They, they've printed trillions of dollars of stimulus during this uh, pandemic. So they're continually devaluing. So where does that end? You know, in fiat currencies traditionally always have a cycle. They always have a life cycle and collapse at some point. So it does beg the question which is why you're seeing gold, again, as usual, be, being seen as a massive hedge. People are hedging over to gold. We live in a very different world now, so where are the future hedges that people go to? And is that some is that Bitcoin or another cryptocurrency or something similar um, that maybe does have the will of the people and the authorities? But so, And the essence of that is, is that because of the uh, – it's a supply limit. So, uh, you know, Bitcoin is divisible by – I think sort of 10, 20, you know, decimal points. So you can split it as much as you want. So it's not an issue in terms of supply, but there's only ever so many Bitcoins that are going to be in existence. So once they're, once they're consumed, they're consumed. So it has to create a deflationary uh, currency, whereas the dollar, because you're flooding the money supply, at some point inflation has to catch up to that. And it, and that that's when we have the real problems. This is going to get the. I mean, we do. This is like nothing any of our parents, grandparents, or great grandparents ever saw. This this sort of recession we're going to go through is going to be a new thing for everyone. It's just absolutely bonkers. Yeah. Just to, to in closing, then, just to kind of bring it back, maybe to uh, to the, to the person sitting at their keyboard and, and at their terminal. We've all heard horror stories of of people who've unwisely piled in to oh. various different cryptocurrencies, and the one coin scam um, was yeah. a real um, a, a real standout. Yeah, well, What's your advice? Is this the kind of thing that a person with a small portfolio of, of, of money ought to be playing with, or are the risks too great, and, and is it too complicated to fully understand? Are you better off with your you better off with your ISA? Well, again, it's a really interesting question. So, if I was, I didn't know anything about crypto, uh, absolutely nothing at all. I may be inclined to say, look, you know, I'm going to buy half a bitcoin and just leave it for ten years. And that's a punt, and that's absolutely a punt. But what I'd liken it to is I, many years ago I worked in the city. I, I worked in London for a long time, and when we were building portfolios for clients at that time, um, we said, right, there's this thing you can't ignore, and you need to have 5% of it in your portfolio because 
the growth, hockey stick growth, it's aggressive. It's a, there's a spike. It's a new economy. It's going crazy. So this was in 2003, and it was called China, right? Mm, right. <laughs> Honestly, that was the situation. They'll never called, catch on. <laughs> they'll never catch on. Yeah, it's not going to work. And the, the the issue was in China that the uh, the whole stock market was uh, 30 companies only on it, and it was owned by the government, and they could throw it all to zero at any time, and this, this, and this, and they're a communist state. But you couldn't ignore the growth. And I think that's what's starting to happen with crypto and certainly Bitcoin is that when the pandemic was announced and markets tumbled, Bitcoin tumbled with it because there are a lot of smaller hedge funds, family offices, institutions that have exposure to cryptocurrency now. It is happening Mm -hmm. and the banks do too. I predict in the next maybe two or three years, and some are starting to do it anyway, I predict that you'll be able to select a cryptocurrency portfolio through Hargreaves Lansdowne on your ISA or AJ Bella, whoever it is, and that is going to happen. So, you know, for your man on the street, for me, I just learn about it for now. I think that the biggest knowledge is to learn about it and maybe not get exposure to it as yet. But if I had to put a Bitcoin under my pillow for 10 years, I think you'd do very well. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, yeah. Philip, thanks very much for joining us. That's been fascinating. And I feel yeah. I understand it a bit more. But it is by nature immensely complicated. I'm off to that landfill in California to try and find the hard drive with 127 million dollars on it. Is it real, or is that was that a myth, or was it real? No, that was real. That was absolutely genuine. That was a uh, that was real. Yeah. So once it's gone, it's gone. That's the scarcity thing you see. So, but yeah, I mean, crypto cybersecurity is going to be a huge thing, isn't it? You know, storage, yeah. cold storage. It says, you know, actually, ironically, if you if you strip it back, the most the, the safest place to store you, your uh, wallet key is on a piece of paper. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> in a vault. In, it, yeah, it, another vault. in a mountain yeah. in Switzerland. <laughs> yeah. And then you need a password for the vault. It's making my head spin. Philip, really good talk to you. Thanks for joining us. Listeners, remember, there's a new Bunker Daily on Mondays, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays with the main panel podcast on Wednesdays. And you can get the podcast early and without adverts, plus smart Bunker merchandise too when you back us on patreon search patreon bunker podcast to find out more thanks for listening thanks to philip and we'll see you soon the bunker daily was produced and presented by andrew harrison the assistant producer was jacob archbold and audio production was by me alex reese theme tune by kenny dickinson the bunker daily is a podmasters production <laughs>